We are in our, well, our final message on the life of Abraham. We may continue this series actually uh, through the patriarchs, which are uh, Isaac and Jacob and others, and as we go down through our series. But we're looking at the life of Abraham. We began this some months ago now, and we've been going down through really the journey of faith with a man named Abram. Later, his name changed to Abraham. Uh, Last time, two weeks ago, we were here and we looked at the death of a princess, and that was from two chapters before this. That was the death of Sarah, and what Sarah, who was the wife of Abraham, uh, she died, and we looked at that topic, sort of, of the last stage of faith on this earth, which is walking with the Lord right up to death, and then being ushered into his presence, and I purposely had gone back a little bit to deal with that one because I wanted to cover Abraham's wife's death. But then also today, looking at the actual death of Abraham and what is summed up there for us. Now, it's interesting as you walk through cemeteries, and we've all probably, hopefully, been you know visiting a cemetery somewhere, and sometimes uh, it hits very close to us when we lose a loved one. But sometimes there are epitaphs and sometimes for Christians a lot of times a bible verse or uh, just a a statement like absent from the body present with the Lord uh, those kind of statements I see a lot of that Um, there's there's a hope thing but sometimes there's rather humorous epitaphs right and I looked at some of them some of you may have seen before but for instance there was one it it said this uh, she always said her feet were killing her but no one believed her you know I thought that's interesting. I don't know who put that on her, her tombstone, but that's what it was. And then one said, I'd rather be in Acapulco. Uh, I think Rodney Dangerfield on his, it says, there goes the neighborhood. <laughs> so uh, here's one that it, it says this. Here lies the body of Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. <laughs> All kinds of good ones. Um, here lies the body of Marianne Bent. She kicked up her heels and away she went. <laughs> and then, of course, I've seen this one uh, before, actually, in uh, a couple different cemeteries. But, and it says this, uh, I am not dead, but sleeping here as I, now, as I am now, so you must be. Prepare for death and follow me. That's a pretty good one, right? Uh, good, a, a good little... I guess, reminder that death knocks at our doors. And then here's one. Uh, she never found the answer to the age-old question, why did the chicken cross the road? All right, you get it. Just got R-O, that's it, and question mark. So anyways, uh, those are the kind of things. Anyways, I leave it there because sometimes there's humorous ones. Sometimes there's more serious ones. And really, when you look at someone's epitaph, and most often, the most common one is really a date of birth and a date of death along with a name. And like for the veterans cemeteries, uh, you might go through and you might get a rank and a branch of service and a date of service like Korea or Vietnam or World War II or Civil War, those kind of things for the American uh, graves. And there's, so there's not much summed up in that statement of a life and it's I thought there would be actually more summed up with the life of Abraham but we don't have it we have of course his story that's much more than what many of us will have probably when we're gone 
Uh, we have the Bible that, that uh, tells us those things. But with Abraham, uh, we only have a couple verses that sum up the life. In Genesis chapter 25 and verse 7, we'll read this. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived, 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful. Grateful for the life of faith that, Lord, is only accomplished by walking with you. And Lord, I pray that we might finish strong with our many days or years we have left. Ask God that you would strengthen us to walk victorious. And as well, Lord, that someday when we breathe our last, we can die having lived a full life, a life of faith. And Lord, be gathered to our people in heaven. And we thank you for that hope and the promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, you see Abraham's obituary, really. Very short obituary, isn't it? Uh, I have seen sometimes, uh, if you're like me, I don't know, the older I get, the more often I look in the obituary section and I see people that, some of them are younger than me, and then I see people that I know, uh, and I'm knowing a lot more that have passed on through the portals of death uh, every year that comes. And I'm, I, I'm not, um, I, I know it gets more so. I remember my... Uh, grandmother who died when she was 97 and she said all the people that I knew have died and gone on before me and she was very faithful to going to her class reunions and all that I think her last class reunion that she went to there was two of them that was it and uh, she was the one I think that lived the oldest in that class of her high school graduation and uh, I, I think life is like that and sometimes it's summed up uh, as Abraham here, when it says he breathed his last and he died in a good old age. Now we know that Abraham, uh, it says right there that he lived to be 175 years old. Okay, you say that's a lot older than anybody I ever met. Well, he lived a long time, just like God said. You will live a full age, and that is definitely full of years. He actually walked with the Lord for a hundred years. Because in Genesis chapter 12, when we were first introduced to Abraham, we find this statement about him. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And as he left his home country, going off, following this one true God, and a God that hadn't showed him all the details yet, he was starting that life of faith, trusting the Lord. And that's really the journey. And it says it began at age 75. And God in his grace gave him another hundred years. Now you could say they weren't perfect years. There were things in his life that uh, he had done that weren't uh, necessarily emblematic of walking close to the Lord with faith. But for the most part, the course, the direction of his life was one of faith. And I think that's what we want to emulate we want to be able to pick ourselves up if we fall down or we make poor decisions, we sin, we go and we say, I repent and I move on. And I go back the direction of faith, right, towards the Lord, trusting Him. We know that. We know that He walked with God. We know that He was called a friend of God. And the Bible says that in the New Testament. The scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
And he was called the friend of God. I think that that would be a great statement, true if it was true anyways, on someone's tombstone that said, a friend with God. Because that really says that you knew who you were serving and why you had purpose here in this life and why you were walking on this, oh, this tough world that it is daily, in and out, because you were a friend with God. We know that. Well, we know that he died full of, he died in the faith, but he also died uh, in fullness of years. And uh, it says good old age. And the word good really means that he was blessed. He lived a blessed life. As I look back, my wife and I say this often, we, are, we have been blessed to have walked with the Lord and to have families that uh, have walked with the Lord. I am greatly blessed to have a Christian wife who has, has a, a Christian mom who put so much effort into her as a little girl that when one night when they were getting ready to go to bed and she had learned a Bible verse with her mother and it was the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And that little girl Sandy asked her mom what does it mean to be lost and what does it mean to be found. And her mother led her to Christ. And I benefit greatly. I'm blessed for someone who walked by faith and they were walking with their children. They were walking with others. And there's so many of that in our own lives. Hopefully, if you're a believer today, you didn't get there by yourself. You got there by, obviously, God's grace and his hand of, that was extended to you in salvation. But someone had to come along there was a human instrument somewhere who walked the the this world in faith and led you in those ways of faith pointing you to christ and again it's his divine work but also he uses human action in those things the book of proverbs says it this way the silver-haired head is a crown of glory it is found in the way of righteousness i like that uh I don't have a lot of silver hair on top of my head. I have some in my beard. But I, I think of that as your hair gets gray um, and you're walking with the Lord. Count it a blessing. Count it a blessing. We all try to look younger and stay younger and all that. In reality, we're, we can't hold off the years. But you can walk with the Lord in those years. You can walk with Him. Abraham walked with God. He was called a friend of God full of years by the way in spite of physical deterioration and the weaknesses that comes with age i can only imagine as abraham is 175 years i'm 52 going to be 53 soon and i think of the days sometimes i get up out of bed and i go oh everything hurts right from the day before when you're splitting wood or you're doing something that you know you're exerting yourself more than usual and you feel those aches and the pains. What is it like to be 175 and get up out of bed? Probably not a cozy bed like mine. And to step out on the ground. Well, far as we know, Abraham had his strength. But you know, as those years pressed on, God continued to bless him. God continued to work in his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about that. Because I think this is one of the greatest parts of the journey of faith, is that we don't lose heart in those, those days and years that are the final years. Final years. I think of that in the needs of a church. 
I'm a pastor, so I hopefully would think about some of the needs of people in our church. Some of you came to Christ many years ago, and you were in that step of faith that is those final years, and I hope that God gives you many more. I I don't like funerals, and I don't like having to do those because we miss people. But we do know with believers to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's part of this journey of faith. And part of the ministry of walking in faith is encouraging those people along. Encouraging the older, encouraging the younger to live for God when they're young. And the middle-aged people to live for God in those stretching years when you still have young maybe children and grandchildren and also you know, older parents. And you, those are stretching years. I'm there right now. Uh, I think of those times, though, that I've watched dear godly saints walk through those portals of suffering, through health ailments, and then death sometimes, and they need encouragement too. And we all need encouragement at every stage. Paul writes, therefore, we do not lose heart. What is losing heart? It's when you give up. For the Christian, we don't give up. Now, I understand there's an aspect of physically someday we won't have a choice in that. We will give up the spirit and and our spirit and our soul will go to be with God. Someone will take our body, put it in the ground, hopefully say a few good words over us and, and then put a gravestone and that's it. But you know what? It's not it only for the body. The body too will be raised up someday to be reunited with, uh, and, and really made new, a new body, as, and it will be made new and reunited with the soul and the spirit for eternity. But we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. And if we begin to lose heart, listen, go next to somebody and give them some encouragement. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction. Light affliction. When Paul says that, There's such irony in that because when Paul says our light affliction, his his life as a Christian was one of hardship, physical hardship. He you read of Paul's accounts when he goes to the Ephesian elders there in the book of Acts and he pours out his heart to them as he's getting ready uh, to go back to Jerusalem where he suffered so much persecution before. And he says, you know what manner of life we lived among you. How night and day we cease not to warn you. Night and day. There were a lot of sleepless nights in Paul's life. There were probably a lot of sleepless nights in Abraham's life and Sarah's life. And there's probably a lot of sleepless nights in your life and my life too. Over the course of a life. Sometimes... It is just a light affliction when we think of it in comparison to the weight of glory. And that's what he says, which is but far or for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I think of Abraham, 175 years. That's a lot of days of life. That's a lot of years walking with God. But it was a moment, a blink in eternity. That's it. A moment. All the trials we go through now and the heartache and the tears and the pain, the suffering, all those things are but light affliction and they are but for a moment. Don't lose heart. Look what it says. is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. 
For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, I thought of that. I went. To, we spent a few days on St. Freud Lake this uh, during vacation, and I grew up there. I grew up right in Quimby, and uh, I remember as a kid, I knew that patch of ground probably a mile in every direction, like the back of my hand. I knew every path. I knew every, just about every tree. I knew every watering hole. I knew every fishing hole. I knew uh, how to get from this house to that house through the woods or that. And we had paths, and we built forts in the woods, and we did all kinds of things growing up there as kids. And I went there this time, and I walked through, and I couldn't even find some of those paths. They weren't there anymore. They were gone. And, and that wasn't a long time ago in the grand scheme of human history there were some things that were there some things I couldn't recognize there were roads that were now gone there was a road I used to walk down and now the road you can still see it there but there's trees this big growing up in the middle of it and I thought what happened they're temporary all those things and the dusty trails we walk and everything are just temporary here including the state of this body is just temporary but there's something better than that It's not temporary. It's eternal. Look what Paul says for in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. He says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. See, Abraham knew where he was going. When the Bible says he was gathered to his people, it's referring to, not to the plot in the cemetery. The plot in the cemetery only had one, great, one occupant at that point, and that was Sarah. That's it. So when God says he was gathered to his people, that's plural. He was gathered to those who were of the household of faith. And that's what it is for the believer. We are going to our people. He goes on to say, If indeed... Having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Part of the walk of faith and the life of faith is that God prepares us the whole way. He prepares us for the hard days when we're young. The lonely days, maybe when you're a teenager and you, you just don't have maybe some close friend. I, I remember times in my life where it seemed like I was just alone. I wasn't. I was surrounded by people. But there's that loneliness that comes. And then God provides somebody in your life just when you need it. Uh, he prepares us in those intervening years. I remember John Piper in one of his books talking about those. He was a a pimply teenager that was sort of nerdy and he was excluded from a lot of things and, and growing up as a Christian. And he said there were, there were nights he came home and all he could do was cry into his Bible. And he says, I, I still remember the smell of the pages as I cried as a 16 or 17 year old. Had wanted to have a girlfriend, didn't have a girlfriend. And he thought this was the end of his life and all of that. But he said, I wouldn't trade those years for anything because I got to know God. He, was, he came very personal to him. And if you, I don't buy into all the, uh, some of the things John Calvin believes with Calvinism, but I will say this, uh, and I, John Piper with Calvinism, but uh, 
I, I would say whenever I've read a book by his, I come away with a deeper appreciation for the big picture of who God is. Far bigger than I realize. We need to walk with God. It's worth it. And those years can come any time. The hard years, the lonely years, those things. And God is the one who can prepare us and he gives us the Holy Spirit. Look what it says. Who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And I wish that was 100% true in the sense that we always walked by faith. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we walk by sight. And just like Peter on the waves when he saw them contrary and he starts to sink and all he can say is, Lord, save me. Right? At least he got out of the boat. Sometimes we don't even want to get out of the boat because it's too risky. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And there are those words again that we see. Abraham died full of years full of years and his life was fulfilled in the book of hebrews it talks about this it says these all died in faith not having received the promises but having seen them afar off were assured of them he saw the promises of god afar off listen we have more revelation now given to us than abraham had and yet he was able to walk by faith We have not only the promise of a coming Savior, we have a Savior who's come. And that Savior and the Bible, which is complete, has been given to us. Abraham didn't have those things yet, and he was looking ahead by faith nonetheless. Look, it says, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embracing them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Listen, gird up your minds, because it's easy to go back to the old country. But you'll find out the old country isn't satisfying and it can't save you. It's the place you came from, not the place you should be going to. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. That's a promise. Listen, desire heaven. Not to the exclusion of everything on earth. Live for the Lord now. Make your decisions, right? In, when the Israelites were carried off into captivity, or were getting ready, Jeremiah was told by the Lord... Continue to plant your vineyards and grow your gardens and make sure your daughters and your sons are getting married. And I talked to somebody this week, uh, not a believer, uh, has two adult children, another child that died and, um, and, and died tragically a couple of years ago. And this person said, I don't think I want my other kids to have children. And I thought, oh, how sad. But they look out the world and they see all the troubles of the world and they don't really have any hope in it. If you're not a believer, you won't have hope. And you might come up with that conclusion. But for the believer, there's a greater. Keep planting your gardens and your vineyards and raising your children and, and, and marrying, you know, and all those things that the Israelites were told, the Jews were told, even in a bad land like Babylon. 
He died full of years. And then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, uh, old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. That phrase, full of years, refers to the fullness of his life. He had fulfilled his years. Some people only, they, they don't get 175 years. I don't think anybody in this room will get 175 years. Maybe, maybe you will. Uh, but they'd have to come up with a lot of cures for cancer and all the other ailments that hit us um, to extend our lives like that. But God could, I guess, right? He did with Abraham. But more importantly, his years were full years. Full years. If you were to die right now, in this day, would your life be one of fullness? Have you given your life to Christ, first and foremost? Because your life is not your own. You know that. He's the Lord. He made man. He created us. He wanted us to worship Him and give Him glory. Not as some robot kind of programmed beast you know like any other animal but rather he wanted someone who had will someone who could exercise that will to him but man chose to exercise it instead elsewhere and began to worship the creation more than the creator and we we went into sin adam the first man he instead of trusting god he believed a lie and he fell into sin as the as we would call it the great fall it was a willing fall, but he fell. And in through Adam, what the Bible tells us, is that we're all sinners. Every last one of us born in his race, we're sinners. But that wasn't the last of Adam. The Bible talks about the fact that there's a second Adam. Someone who came out of Adam's race. Someone who had the human blood pumping through his veins. And that same one who was fully man could go and die as a man dies. And he chose to die the most horrendous suffering death, the crucifixion death. And he died there at Calvary, the God-man, fully God but fully man, able to save us from our sins. Because only God could save us from our sins. That's the story of the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for you and me, for our sins. And if you'll believe on him, you'll repent and turn to him. Listen, he promises to forgive you your sins and to save you. You have to believe, you have to trust, you have to live by faith. That's the start of faith right there. And then you walk with him. See, he's not a dead savior. The grave did not hold him, but he's the risen savior. And he's gone out into this world and he sends us out into this world as the risen savior. Oh, I'm thankful for that. Fullness of years. The psalmist pictures this as in Psalm 92 and, and I thought of this in Psalm 92 because really there's a picture here I want to show first. And it's a picture of an acacia tree. We don't have them around here. Um, although they probably grow here in northern Maine because they grow in some of the harshest climates in the whole world. Mostly arid as in dry um, parts of Africa through the Middle East. And you can see here's this tree and it's growing in a place that I wouldn't think anything could grow. But there it is. Its roots extend really deeply. They live to be old, old trees. And they flourish in some of the hardest places on this earth. The acacia tree. By the way, it was the acacia wood that the Ark of the Covenant was to be made out of. And it was to be overlaid with gold. 
And you know the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. Remember the Jews were told to construct this this Ark of the Covenant. And it was a a place where at the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in and he'd offer a sacrifice for himself, but then also for the people. And the blood would be sprinkled on the top, on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. That everything about that Ark spoke of Christ. He came from this earth. And I can't think of a fitting wood, more like acacia wood, that is hardy and yet out of this earth and it it grows in the deepest driest places in the world (laughs) the bible says he he was a tender shoot out of dry ground that's exactly what he was and is and yet the gold speaks of deity and he's overlaid with gold you see the basically the nature of christ the supernatural as in he is divine and yet he is also human the acacia tree. The Bible says a lot about trees. Someday go through the Bible and just look up trees. Different th- times they're mentioned and those kind of things. There's a lot of messages you could come up with and devotion that you could do. But back there in Psalm 92, listen to what it says about this. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. The problem is right now I feel more like the acacia tree. I'm planted in a very dry, spiritually dry world. And it's a harsh world. But you can flourish in that because he's with us. They shall still bear fruit in old age. Listen, 175 years and Abraham is still bearing fruit. And it wasn't going to stop there. He continues to bear fruit to this very day. We'll come back to that. Because a life of faith has implications generationally. They shall be fresh and flourishing. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. And there is no unrighteousness in him. Aren't you glad? He's perfect. Wonderful truth there. In old. And even in old age. The experience of walking with Christ. Has such rich implications to the next generation. The Jews were told actually to make sure that they told the next generation and taught them as they were going in the way about about the Lord. It was imperative. They had to do it if you were going to be fulfilling the obedient call of God on their lives. In Psalm 48, this is given. Walk about Zion. And go all around her. Count her towers. Now, here the psalmist is reflecting on Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem. He's telling the Jew, this earthly city, which shouldn't even exist even today, it exists. Why? Because God promised it would. Walk about Zion and go all around her. Count her towers. Mark well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces. That you may tell it to the generation following. For this is God. Our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. Even to death. We need a guide even to death. That's the truth. We do. And you know, often it's said that death is the hardest part of the journey for anybody just simply because you die alone. You know, you can't do it but once. (laughs) And you die alone. But really, that's not fully true. We never, as a believer, die alone. 
If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you die with Him. And you'll go from this life, and that heart will stop, or however you die, whatever, your heart will stop. That has to happen. But, you know, you'll go from that point to now in the presence of Him. And He's there with us to death, in death, through death and life, and also into the next step. Psalm 78, verse 5, For He established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them. See, the Lord wants the next generation to know Him as well. I think that's important that we, in this life, while we still have breath in our lungs, and the ability to do whatever, to communicate to others that we do so. Taking opportunities, every opportunity to share because the next generation needs to know him. Often it's said in our world today, all oh, the generation coming up, boy, they're just, you know, and we complain, we complain, we complain. Are you doing anything for the next generation? To change it? To give them hope? Listen, I've seen some awful things in the last couple of years and some of you have too and I've seen awful things before that. I've seen young people just give up, kill themselves. It's a hard thing. Not having the hope that I have and that you have. Oh, don't, don't let that happen. I'm saying, if you have opportunity, take it. That they may arise and declare them to their children. That they may, be, may set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. What great advice. That's the best, listen... That's the best book you can read on child rearing. Pick up the Bible and read it. And read it to your children. Abraham knew that someday he would be buried and he would die in good old age. And look what it says in Genesis 15, 15. This is, this is still, um, he's still going to die like years and years later, Okay. And God says, now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Not all of us have the, well, I would say very few, would ever have the inclination of how they're going to die. Sometimes we get the news that this is it, right? I mean, you have six months to live or something like that. But in reality, we don't even know how that goes. And often people don't get it right when they put dates on things. But can I tell you it this way? That we can know if we're going to die in peace. We can. It's often said when someone is getting ready to die, they make peace, right? Make peace with others, make peace with God. Can I tell you, do that before you are getting ready to die, right? I say we all should be keeping that on the back burner for sure. But have peace with God now. And as I've mentioned already, the first step is to find peace with Him from our sin. Because your sin will keep you from the presence of God forever. And you'll be in hell. And there's no peace in hell. So someone dying without Christ, they don't die in peace. And they don't rest. That's, that's sometimes people say, oh, they're at rest now. Are they? If they didn't know Jesus Christ, they're not. Don't ever forget that. And I don't mean it cruelly. I say it because it is so important now to tell people all right, while well, they can have peace. Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You will not have peace with God unless you're justified by faith. And how you get justified by faith is to trust Christ. Turn from your sin and believe on him. And then a transaction of faith takes place in the action of justification. He takes our sin, puts it on his account, the guilty for the righteous, and the righteousness of Christ comes on our account. That's what the theological definition of justification is. Abraham made that decision. I made that decision back when I was 18. Many of you have made that decision. But if you haven't made that decision, you will not die in peace. And you will not have peace afterwards. And I say that in love. Because I don't, couldn't think of a more cruel thing to do to somebody than to look at them and say, you'll be at peace soon and not tell them how they can have peace. And I mean that. Isaiah 32 verse 17 says, the work of righteousness will be peace. That goes on now too. You can have peace in the middle of a world that is not at peace. And the effects of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. See, there's a a direct, immediate effect that's having peace now, and there's a direct connection to the future forever. That's, That's unlimited, okay? Quietness and assurance. I need assurance because I doubt a lot. And you probably do do, do too. You doubt. You doubt if you're ever going to, you know, land this life of faith right. Or you're going to walk with him. And yet, I say to you this, give yourself to Christ. Repent. Whether it be from sin to salvation or as a believer, from backsliding, uh, backsliding to, to asking him to help you walk again. Like Abraham had to do. There were times where he, he did things that he lied. He got himself in trouble. He, there were times where he didn't trust God. And he had to repent. And he had to move on. And he gives us righteousness and quietness and assurance forever. That's a promise throughout the word of God. And the Lord will not leave you. Elsewhere in the Bible. And by the way. I think one of the greatest things you can take away from the life of Abraham is that even though he lived 175 years, which is old, okay, uh, his life sort of, you know, points us back as so often people who have lived a long time can point us back to days when they were stronger and when you're stronger. And you know what? We can tell people now to remember the creator, right? Ecclesiastes 12.1, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. When Solomon is writing this later, he is writing this as an old man. Solomon started out really good, but then in the middle of it, his heart, his heart was turned away. And later on, Solomon, at the end of his life, realizes that. And he writes these things that we have, like in the book of Ecclesiastes. And without the substance of God in your life, everything is vain. It is empty if you don't have the Lord. And he says in that concluding chapter, remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. You know why that's good advice? Is because if you don't walk with the Lord now in the strength of your youth, that when you get, it gets tougher, and it gets tougher, my father-in-law is always telling me, old age is not for wimps. And he reminds me of that every time I see him. And you know what? 
the strength of the Lord is upon him and on others because they learned to walk when they were younger. We need to do that as well. I won't take the time, but um, in that chapter of Genesis, you will also find just in that previous section, because we only read the, the sum of Abraham's life, you find a will that is given. And ultimately he gives over everything he has to Isaac, his son. Um, and there's all the people that are mentioned there in Abraham's life. And often when somebody dies, they leave something behind, something they would give to the next generation. We already talked about the most important thing, which is giving the knowledge of God and passing on that faith through demonstration uh, to the next generation. But literally, there was implications of Abraham trusting God that affect you and me today. Because the New Testament opens up with a verse. Matthew 1, chapter 1 says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it goes on that whole section for the next about 20 verses that deal with uh, the the tough names, right? And then down near the end in in chapter uh, verse 17, it says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. And those were easy generations to remember. The Jews were to, to remember things in couples of seven. We, we, we do well with that, right? Phone numbers are usually seven digits, right? And our brain is set up like that. And these couplets of sevens or 14 at this time and they would remember generationally but it always went back to Abraham back to Abraham a man of faith a man who bequeathed that to the next generation and the very fact that almost uh, 2,000 years later when Jesus Christ would be born he would be born in the lineage of Abraham now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows And we know what that was about. He was born of a virgin. He was born somehow in Abraham's family, David's family, in Adam's family. Because it goes back elsewhere all the way to Adam. But he was born in our family and he came to save us from our sins. Do you know him? Are you walking with him? Will you have peace with him now and forever? Those are questions that demand an answer. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful. Thankful that first and foremost, you are the Savior of the world. We praise you for that, O God. We say, Lord, that you were not only concerned with Abraham, but you were concerned with us. So that out of the seed of Abraham, and he would go out and he would give his life for all who would believe. Thank you for that, Lord, for the sin of the world. And Lord, we pray that many today would come to saving faith in Christ. I pray if there's anybody here today that has not found peace with you through salvation, that even now they would do so, turning from their sin and receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior by faith. And Lord, we know that that's a personal action. No one can do that for another person. Only you, only the the, the individual can do that. So I pray to that end, Lord, even today. Pray also, Lord, if we we have ways we're not walking with you, O God, deal with us. Help us to walk. 
and help us to tell the other generation that's, to coming, that's coming behind us to pass on that to them. And I pray this, Lord, for, for not our own sake, but for your sake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.